would you believe you can find a blacksmith? Yeah, I said blacksmith, within 5Ks of the CBD. There's people bending and twisting metal, just like they did hundreds of years ago in these little workshops all over the country. Steve Phillips is one of them. He's an environmental scientist who set up a workshop a few years ago. And he runs the Waterside Metal Art Studio and Supplies in the Melbourne suburb of Footscray. Now let's head inside his workshop where they've just thrown some fresh coke on the forage. The big um, tree stump at the front end of the forge, that's in Flemish, that's called a, a nagelbaum, a nail tree. And uh, there's quite some historical context in the nagelbaum, and so it's also um, that you find it in the west of Germany as well. And there was a period of time in the late in the 1700s and the 1800s where blacksmiths were finding it hard to make a living. And uh, so what they would do is they would, because they're highly respected in the community, they would um, they would forge nails for people who would come to them with a, um, an incurable illness. And the, and, the, um, and the people would pay the blacksmith some money to forge the nail. The nail would get hammered into the nagelbaum outside the front of the forge. And the, and, the, and the theory was when the tree grew over the nail, the person's illness would be cured. That's a great story. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> I think art has always been a core activity within all cultures and whenever, whenever you find a material that can be manipulated um, to create new forms and I think that they probably, there probably was art being created with, with steel even way back in the beginning when they were still making, when they first started making weapons. Steve, I spent a year living in Turkey and blacksmithing is a trade that's alive and well in Turkey. I mean, blacksmiths are still making gates for homes and they're making garden ornaments. You don't see much of that happening in Australia, do you? Uh, Is it a bit of a sort of a dying art in Australia, a dying craft? Um, There's still a lot of gates and uh, uh, balustrades being made in Australia, but the, the what that's called now is fabrication, and and it's and it's it's done with machines. It's done with welders. Um, the traditional um, uh, techniques of blacksmithing are time-consuming, and uh, they don't lend themselves to the commercial pressures of uh, modern-day um, uh, business. And uh, so, it's. It's not. Has it died? Well, it probably has died to a degree, but it still lives on. And so Jack, who, who's working here as, a, as an artist blacksmith, he has a, um, uh, a full-time job uh, blacksmithing um, to create the jewellery around some of these fabrication uh, projects that modern-day um, metalworking studios are undertaking. Jack, what's the sign that they've got it right? Is it the balance? Well, with any project, there comes the, the final putting it on the table or onto a flat surface and seeing if it's got any stability problems and then having a look at it too and seeing if there's anything aesthetically that you want to change. 
So it has to stand up straight, not fall over, and be pleasing to the person who made it at least. So that's the sort of little finessing point in the job just before you you um, call it finished. You know, there's still a chance to, to make some little tweaks or changes. And if you keep heating the metal over and over to tweak it, does that weaken it? Or no, it's you... one of the beautiful things about forging is that provided you get it hot, you can pretty much work it indefinitely. So it's sort of like a like having a, a wet clay. And while it's wet, it's fine. Once it's dried out, it's a problem. And the same thing with steel. If you work it hot, you can fairly indefinitely manipulate it. If you try to work it cold, then you can introduce cracks and that sort of thing. Right, so heating it is the, the key. It is. Keep reheating it. Yep. How much grunt work is required? Because I was looking and some of your students were really sweating bullets. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as you move uh, above 10 by 10 square bar, and let's just say you move to... Uh, 16 millimeter square bar it starts to become quite an effort to start to deform it and you have to get it really hot you've got to get it up to a yellow heat to be out of it to deform it um, easily and you'll see some of the uh, uh, exercises we've got here particularly the ammonites you see up on on my forge hood there there's a little ammonite um, that that starts out as 16 by 16 square bar and to draw a taper out of that um, is hard work. It's, it's a full four hours to draw the taper out and twist it up. And what is one of the earliest items that you made and what did it look like? Do you remember? I certainly do. Well, I, I in fact, I might even have it in the fort. Here it is over here. So this, this, this is, I'm quite pleased with this piece. This is one of my, it's not my first piece, but it's one of the, um, the pieces that I, I made after about a couple of weeks of learning. It's a little piece of Art Nouveau curve. And uh, it was, um, it, it, what, what I learnt from the creation of this particular piece was the importance of finding the right line in your work. And so uh, when you're blacksmithing, you can, you can create a curve, but to, it's, it's giving it tension that is the difficult part because that's and that's where the beauty comes from so if you look at this piece my teacher said to me I think you've got it Steve it's it, it looks it's starting to come alive mm. you've got a glint in your eye as you talk about blank smithing I mean you traveled all the way to Antwerp in Belgium to study this craft what took you all the way to the other side of the world to learn how to blacksmith that's a very long story, Sarah. <laughs> um, I, I had the I had the, actually had the good fortune of having a midlife sabbatical at forty, and so I, uh, I I had a year off, and I went to Belgium with my family, and uh, I, I I went to the Academy of Fine Art in in Antwerp, and uh, I started off doing a little bit of sculpture, and then the the blacksmithing opportunity came up, and I thought, oh yeah, have a look at that. And I think as soon as I walked into that forge in Antwerp and looked at the fires and the ambience in, in the establishment, I just thought, this is me. And then when you, when you start to... Pl I've always played with fire, and it, when you start to use the fire to heat the steel, and there's, there's, a, there's a whole process of waiting. So it's not instantaneous. You've, you've got to... You've got to put the steel in the fire, you wait till it gets to the right heat, and then you've got to hit it. 
you, you know the old saying, strike while the iron's hot. <laughs> well, it, it, it's true, it applies. Is it the gratification of doing something with your hands, making something with your hands that's so joyous about blacksmithing? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. For me, it's, it's the whole process, it's, it, and so it's, it's the aesthetic as well. And you've got a bunch of students here, a mixed bag of ages. What sort of students are you attracting? What do they want to get out of this class? So we, we started running these classes about three years ago and the, the demographic that comes through doing the classes is it, it's very broad. We, we have from 12-year-old students uh, right through to re- retired people and we have had doctors, architects, meteorologists, anaesthetists, prison wardens. It's really broad. Is this the first time that you've been in a blacksmithing class? Uh, no, I went here for module one in March. Now you actually are sweating. Yeah. <laughs> is it because it's hot in here? It's pretty toasty, or is it because it looks pretty physical? Um, it's a mix of both, really. But yeah, you can probably feel it. The forge is really hot, um, and I find myself sweating in places I didn't know I could sweat. <laughs> now, now you're you look like a really young lad to me. Um, how yeah. old are you? I'm 15 in year 10. Um, my mum found this place on Facebook. Basically, she showed it to me, and I, I was really interested. Um, Why blacksmithing for a 15-year-old? I I just like. The fact that it's a hard metal when it cools, but as soon as you heat it up, you can just, it's just become so malleable and it's, it's just like amazing what you can do with it. That's looking good. Uh, I think, uh, I think you want to maybe even just, it's, what, it's easier to do, to, to, to scroll work when you've got the body fixed. So if you, if you put this like in the vice like that and and then work on it with the scroll tongs. Okay. You'll be able to you'll be able to tune it a little bit better. See? Yeah. And so the and the and the main thing about a nice scroll is um, trying to get rid of any flat spots. And you've done a pretty good job there. So if you but to make it really nice, to have it, you want to tweak it just to give it a bit bit of life. And that's always the hardest part in blacksmithing is giving it that tweak to make it come alive. But that's, that's looking pretty good. I'd roll, I'd be, I'd be scrolling it up a little bit more. Hey Eric, so you're putting the f- final touches on your snail. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's all sort of trial and error a couple of times, but... Looks like a masterpiece. Ah, this is the part that I was really concerned about. <laughs> After I did my year in uh, Belgium, I travelled overland to the uh, Helfstein Castle in uh, the east of the Czech Republic and attended that festival and that was amazing because it's held in a very large castle and uh, the, the ambience there is amazing. And Steve, I mean, I would like to make one of those little snails. They look really cute. How long would it take me to sort of master that skill? What, what tips would you give for someone like me who's never, ever gone down the path of blacksmithing but I've got to say I'm a cabinet maker's daughter so I do know how to hold a hammer. I reckon that uh, 
to make a snail, and you've got some reasonable hand-eye skills, I think... Well, we, we generally do a Module 1 course here, so everyone has attended a Module 1 course, so that's um, four Saturday mornings. Someone with good uh, hand-eye skills should be able to pick up the basic techniques to be able to uh, make a snail within, really within two weeks, um, two sessions, and then on the third session we could uh, embark upon teaching them the, the, the core techniques that are involved in making the snail here, which are, are, are different from your basic bending and uh, twisting. You're learning to forge welding, you're learning to use cutting tools to split the steel. So tips and what tips would I give you? I think you should uh, just put a leather apron on and come down the forge sometime. <laughs> And I'm really happy to say that I can actually see another female participant. So it's not just a class for blokes. So this is, this is really promising. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's a real focus uh, for both Jack and myself and Bruce. Uh, we're, we're really enthusiastic about women coming to the forge. It's not a men's shed. Uh, we don't, and we, we want the atmosphere to be inclusive for people of all walks of life, and irrespective of gender. And I guess I should ask also, where does the name blacksmith come from? Okay, well, if you ask my wife what I look like when I come home from the forge most weekends, it's a, it's a, it's a shade of grey or black. And I and imagine in the olden days uh, when they, uh, the blacksmith worked for a, a, a full day using a coke a coal fire, because we're using coke here, the amount of soot in the air would have turned him a nice shade of black. <laughs> well, I was so impressed with the ornamental snails that those students whipped up. It was pretty impressive to see because they basically started off with a 50 centimetre long piece of iron and bent and curled it into a doorstop garden ornament what have you, whatever you want to call it. So that's pretty much what a day in a blacksmithing workshop sounded like.